It is my joy to welcome you to today's podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will minister to you in a special way during our time together. I want to just read a few verses of scripture as we begin. I'm reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm starting at verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. In verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Father, we just want to say thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you care about our families. We thank you, Lord, that you have placed us in families. And now, Lord, as we look into our thoughts and our topics for today, we're just praying, Holy Spirit, that we will hear what the Spirit wants to say to the church today. For these lips of clay, we ask for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I love that verse 11, there is a time, that not verse 11, this is verse one, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. I always complain, often complain, I don't have enough time, but it says here there's a time for everything and a season for every activity. We've actually been traveling through the various seasons of family life. We started before marriage, the things to do before you say I do. And then we talked about uh, ingredients for having a fabulous or happy marriage. And then last week we talked about the thrills and the skills, the skills and the thrills of raising children. And so we're going into a new season today. And this is, we progress in time. And as you get into this season, uh, you might have a little bit gray in your hair and you might have a little bit of stiffness in your bones or in your joints because time has gone by. But in every season, there are challenges and there are rewards. But before we talk about the characteristics of things in this season, I wanna say this, I think this is so vital. As parents, we must realize we're not only raising children, we are raising adults. And I'm going to use the illustration of a garden. I've talked to you be about before about my daughter's garden. She has a beautiful garden, vegetables. She grows a lot of vegetables. She also grows gorgeous flowers. But in her vegetable garden, when I go to the estates, she'll take me down to her garden and she'll show off the things that she's planted. Now she already planted them. She took the seeds, she's put them in the soil. But by the time I get there, there's still not much to show for it little bit of little green sticking up. And she'll say, these are the cucumbers. And then over here is the tomatoes. Well, they don't look like cucumbers to me. 
It, they just look like little green things, and there's no tomatoes over here, there's just little green things sticking up. But she, sometimes she'll have a little, you, you know how far, uh, gardeners do, they take the seed packet that has a picture on, and they'll stick it on a little stake and put it in the ground so you know what's there. But the, the, the thing that is so important is that gardeners, they're thinking about the end goal. There's no cucumbers. There's no tomatoes. But she says, here's the cucumbers, here's the tomatoes. Why? Because they're going to be cucumbers, if the bugs don't get them. They're going to be tomatoes. She's looking at the end goal. She's talking about what's going to be. This is what we have to do as parents. What is our end goal? Our goal is to raise responsible, independent adults. Sometimes parents have a child that is, is handicapped mentally, and that child never is able to grow beyond the mental capacity of, say, a 10 or even an 8-year-old. I had a good friends that had a child like that. And we used to always say, oh, how sad, how sad. They'll, they'll never be able to grow up. I just want us to, say, to, to realize today, it's not only important that your child grows up chronologically, that means they have a birthday every year, every Sunday, somebody comes up, it's my birthday today, and we pray for them on their birthday, they're growing, they grow physically, we meet young people every week that we don't even recognize, we knew that when they were like this, and then they're standing up here like this, you know, like, and you have to look up at them, like, who are you? We don't even, but they're growing physically. But it's not enough to grow chronologically or physically. Our children have to grow emotionally. This is what will make them grow to be healthy, mature adults. How will I know that my children is developing emotionally? You will know this has occurred when your young person has a sense of responsibility for his own behavior. When you're not constantly making excuses. I know mothers are making excuses for their sons who are in their 40s. Oh, well, he's like this, and oh, you have to understand. You know, still making excuses. I uh, was reading in my study about gro uh, growing adults. And the, the lady that wrote this said that she went to her family doctor one day. And he asked her this rather startling question. What would you do if you learned that you only had one year left to live? And she said, well, I would worry about my children. Well, yes, he agreed, but what would you do about it? And she thought and responded, I suppose I would help them to outgrow their need for me. I would teach them to be parents to themselves. This is what I want to suggest to you today. In raising children, you have to teach your children to be parents to themselves, to take responsibility for their own actions. There's no better time to start training your children, beloved, than right now. Now, I'm going to talk for just a few moments about outgrowing parenthood. Do we ever outgrow parenthood? <laughs> and
As the mother of two daughters, I can categorically say, never, never. <laughs> I have found that the older my daughters get, the more they want me to be near them. The more they need me, they call me, you know, they want my advice, they ask me to pray for them, that's a good thing. But as long as your sons and daughters live, they'll always be your children. You will always love them, you will care for them, you'll do your best to help them. Most importantly, you'll pray, pray, pray for your children. But I want you to note this, and this is very important. The active phase of parenting does change as your child reaches maturity, gets married, begins his or her own family. What, what do we call the active phase? You're, you're, a lot of you are in it right now. You've got kids in school. You've got to wake them up in the morning. Maybe you get them up early. Now it's exam time and make them study. You fix their breakfast. You get them off to school. And you, you know, you're just, you're busy, busy. You do the laundry. You do the cooking. You're very, this is the active phase of raising children, disciplining them, helping them with their studies. But what happens one day when they finished their studies? Not only did he earn his BA, he has his MA. And he's, you know, his, so many of our children have advanced degrees now, say children, our young people. They are not in that active phase anymore. They're grown up. You are no longer responsible as parents for their day-to-day -day welfare. Dear mother, when your son gets married, his meals are no longer your problem. Please don't call him or your daughter-in-law every morning or text her. Have you fixed his at least this morning? I don't even know if your daughter-in-law knows how to make at least. But I, I can guarantee you one thing. He will not starve to death. When I got married, I didn't know how to cook. Grew up in boarding school, in hostels, never cooked. I warned my husband that I didn't know how to cook. <laughs> so he bought me cookbooks. I just want to say... And it worked because in the first three months we were married, he gained 15 kilos in just three months. I considered that a success for a young bride who never cooked. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have since learned a few cooking skills, which I lose when I'm here in India because I never have time. But, you know, don't worry about your son. He won't starve to death. I, I, I'm sure of that. This is the basic rule, parents. Everyone knows this. But I'm going to say it. You must be willing to let go. You have to open that tight parental hand and set your child free to move surely and happily into the new life in which the parent is no longer the dominant player. We read it in that uh, passage in Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, verse 5b said, there's a time to embrace and a time to reframe. I was doing a little study on that passage. I found it so interesting. But what it was talking about, it mentioned this. You know, in this culture, in the Middle East, and even in India, when we meet people, what do we do? We give them a hug. You know, and sometimes you do the old one, two, three, you know. I mean, you know, we, we hug people. That's saying, hello. The, the scripture says there's a time to say, hello. And there's a time to say, goodbye. It's hard to say goodbye. A lot more, it's a lot easier, a lot more fun to say hello. But I just want to, to help you to understand, dear parents, that you have to do that. If your daughter is married, remember she has a new identity. 
She has a new decision-making role. This is the number one thing. Do not give unsolicited advice, even when it seems needed. <laughs> Who's going to say what's needed or necessary? You know what I learned as a mother-in-law? I learned this. You know, I'll talk about that a little more later. The thing that you can do for your daughter-in-law is praise her. Find something. There must be something about her that is good. Maybe she dresses nicely. <laughs> if it's not her cooking, you know. There's something that's nice. When your son hears you speak well of the woman he has chosen, it makes him feel proud and happy. It strengthens the ties that he still happens to have, ties that he still has with you. If your son is married, remind yourself that you are no longer on the direct line to his life. Somebody else is filling that role. I, I was thinking about the whole garden uh, illustration, and I thought, you know what happens to uh, the vegetables or fruit that's in the garden if you don't pluck it when it's ready at the right time? I've seen it. It, it spoils. It either just shrivels all up and dries up, or it may just rot. It'll just fall. I don't want that to happen with our precious young people. Let them go when the time is right. But the thing that I want to move on to, because it leads into that, is becoming in-laws. It only takes one wedding ceremony to turn a mother into a mother-in-law. And that has happened to me two times. So I'm just warning you, you will not hear any mother-in-law jokes from me today because I don't think being a mother-in-law is a laughing matter. I am one. But I just want to say it's a very important thing to, to talk about, and uh, I, we're going to just do that for, for a moment. You know what? I read that there is a plant. Now, I wasn't familiar with this. It has long, sharp-edged leaves, and it has been given the name Mother-in-Law's Tongue. Now, you know that plant? That is just plain mean. That is mean. I don't like that. Anyway, I, I didn't know what that was. I'm going to have to look it up. But I do know what happens so often when young people get married. I had a young wife come to me one day a number of years ago. She said, you know, my mother-in-law, she's so cruel to me. And finally, in frustration, I asked her one day, Mom, why, why do you treat me like this? Why are you mean to me? And her mother-in-law replied, this is the way my mother-in-law treated me. So that is the way I will treat you. I don't think I need to make any comment about that. I was somewhat shocked, but it was an eye-opener. A daughter-in-law's initial reception from her mother-in-law is so crucial. If she is not made to feel welcome early in the relationship, the younger woman may take it that she's considered unacceptable or not up to the family standards or expectations. I want to say this, mother-in-law, it's up to you as the elder, hopefully the more mature person, to, you have to take the initiative. You must make the greater effort at the start to become friends with a younger woman. What often causes the most trouble between a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law is the giving of advice. 
by the older woman. The younger woman interprets this as criticism or negative remarks. You, you know, do you, just let me say it again. We read it here in Ecclesiastes chapter three in verse seven. There is a time to be silent. There's a time to speak, but there is a time to be silent. Mother-in-law, that's most of the time. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, my, my sons-in-law, I have two sons-in-laws. They allow me to speak. They do. But you know what I learned early on in my relationship with my sons-in-laws? They did not want my advice. You know, here I am, the fount of wisdom. You know, so much wisdom and experience and maturity I have. They don't care. They don't care. They don't want to know. That really hurts, but it's the truth. So this is what I learned, and I made up my mind, I will not give advice unless they ask for it. <laughs> they don't ask. Well, not usually, not usually. Although, once in a while, actually, as the years have gone by, you know how it is with your children, the older they get, the smarter you get, you know. So they, they do ask for my advice. They call me when they have a problem and when they want me to pray, because they know I pray for them. So, but you know, if you want to get along well and you want your in-laws of whichever side of the family to love you, learn to be silent, especially when it comes to advice. You know, I'm just gonna say the best formula for getting along in the in-law relationship, it's the same one that works in every relationship, do to others as you would have them do to you. You know that verse, apply it to this relationship. I'm very blessed today to have a helper and a testimony. I've asked our sister Anita Gonbaranam to come and give her testimony. Anita and Eddie have been part of our church more years. I tried to think of how many years, couldn't really think of how many. But please come, Anita, and share your experience as a mother-in-law. Thank you, sister. I'm here since 1993. 93, thank you. <laughs> it's a great privilege for me to share what God has done <clears throat> in my life. First service, my husband was not there, but now he's sitting over there, so I have to be very careful what I speak. <clears throat> we have uh, one son and two daughters. They're all married, all settled, and I have five grandchildren. My son married very early at the age of 24, and he married a girl of his own choice. He was in love with her since school days. And I loved my son. I'm, I'm a very emotional type of person. I used to love my children a lot, and still I love babies a lot. I was so attached with my son because I come from an Indian background and a village background and a UP background, and uh, they're like the um, son when he gets married, when the daughter-in-law comes, I know how they are to be treated. So I learned like that. So I was very possessive about my child and one son, all the more possessive. So I used to love him a lot and I was very emotionally attached with him because I brought them up. I used to feed them till class eight till I got a good scolding from my husband, stop feeding them now. Now they are in class seven, class eight. <clears throat> so as my daughter-in-law comes in, she comes from a very different background, from a very different bringing up. But I, I didn't bother about that. I thought she has come to my house, she loves my son and they have got married because of, out of love. 
When she comes, I expected her to love my son exactly how I love. That she'll look at me and she will know that, yes, this is the way my, his, uh, my, um, my husband's mother does, so I will also do that. That's what we expect from the daughter-in-laws when they come to our house. And it was quite opposite because my son loved good food. That is good aloo paratha and good fish curry, good chicken curry, good mutton curry, and all that what he loves. He liked cleanliness a lot. He used to do all his things himself. Because that's what I had brought him up like that. And when this daughter-in-law comes, I find her absolutely different. She is diet conscious. She'll make all vegetables boiled with less oil. And the best part is before I can speak on the dining table, my son shows uh, appreciation towards her and he says, wow, very nice. And that... <laughs> I felt jealous. I'm telling you, I'm a very jealous woman. Even my husband, if he looks at any other woman, I used to feel very jealous. And that, I was so jealous that my son is all the time, he used to criticize me, mama, salt is less, mama, oil is less, mama, this is less, mama, that is less, mama, like this, mama. So I used to do everything from the childhood, and now this boy is... And that led to a little bit of tiff-like... I used to tell her, I used to correct her, what I saw, but I was very hurt. I was not very bad mother-in-law, but then I used to cry a lot. It showed on my face that I'm so emotionally attached, and I was coming in bet between husband and wife's relationship. So I prayed. The only thing I knew was to pray from childhood. So I went at the back of the house, and AWHO called me in sector A, I prayed there. I said, Lord, help me to release my son. Help me, I'm too attached. It's very difficult. So I prayed and I, the Lord spoke to me. When you pray, you ask God. I said, Lord, if they ask me that, uh, that they want to leave this place and go stay somewhere else, I will say yes to it. With a heavy heart, I said yes, Lord. Sometimes we pray and we, with a heavy heart, we know that we can't do it. But when we ask God, and God said, straight away he answered that prayer. Next day, my son comes and says, we are wanting to shift to sector C, which is next block, next area. And I said, wow, Lord, it pained me, and I cried. But when she, I was praying, God spoke to me a few more things. That do you know that this girl who has come to your house comes from a different background, from a different way of bringing up? And she's entirely different. She's expecting you to love. She's expecting that she is a guest in this house, she has got a lot of expectation from you. Will you be able, and I'm a praying woman, I'm supposed to preach. And here I'm, feel, I'm showing jealousy and I'm showing that. I said, okay, Lord, I will try with your help. They shifted to the next uh, area, that is sector C. And Lord helped me to go every day. Without my husband's knowledge, I should take the scooter and go and sit and see how she's doing. Actually, in the heart at the back was that if she does anything, I may be able to correct her. But the Lord was telling me, keep quiet, no. Like sister says, it was very difficult. I'm a very talkative woman. I talk a lot. And many times I open my mouth with the wrong place. So I, I had to keep my... Put your watch guard over my tongue. So I just kept sitting at one place and used to see for us together. And she will make chai for me, whatever she does. I kept on admiring her and I kept on praying for her. You know how it changed? Praise God. This woman 
whose parents were there in this town, very close to my house, she started coming and taking advice from me. Mama, can you pray for me? I'm applying in this job. Will you pray for me? She used to come. She saw that Mama prays a lot because when I used to sit there and I always prayed because I was actually praying for myself, not praying for her. <laughs> Frankly speaking, I was praying for her because I was feeling very jealous. My son is gone away. So she saw me praying and she says, Mama, will you pray for me? When she became pregnant, she came and said, Mama, will you keep your hand and pray? You know, God gave me the gift of prophecy at that moment and I said, there is a son. I don't know how I said, there is a son in your womb because I've asked for a son. I don't know. That was a selfish prayer. And when she had a son, she developed more faith and for everything she used to come and say, Mama, will you pray for me? Mama, can you tell me how can I go for that interview? You have been a principal. Can you tell me how to face the board? What all questions will they ask? Will you tell me that? Every time. She used to come and ask me to pray for her. She developed so much of, when she was admitted in Chennai hospital, she was very sick. She called me from there. I had to rush to Chennai. Her parents are there. She said, I do, she told my son, I don't want my mother, but I want mama next to my bed. They took up two be uh, a room which has two beds so that I can be with her all through and pray for her, love her. She loves me so much. She's not here with me, she's in US. She told all her friends in my AWHO colony um, and, and uh, that sector A, she told, I came to know from the friends, I can never find a mother-in-law like this. I don't think so a mother-in-law can be like this. I am seeing, I depend on her so much. Now when she's in US, she comes back and she says, just recently she came back and she sat on the table and she looked at my face with so much of love and she said, Mama, you gave me so much of confidence. I have learned so much of confidence from you. How to depend on things. So I praise God for that. The next story which I want to tell you and encourage you, that the relationship of mother-in-law and daughter-in-law has to be exactly how you love your daughter. If you love your daughter-in-law, just forgiving everything so that their relationship of the husband and the wife develops. Now my both my son and daughter-in-law, they love each other so much. They sacrifice for their, themselves so much they are in love. So that is another story which I want to tell with Sister Ali's permission. That is about my grandson. Now, my son's love is gone. Okay, it has not gone. I'm thinking it's gone. And now, the son which she produced when I said there's a son in your womb. And the son comes and my daughter-in-law was working. She was here only. And she had to put the baby in my lap. And I resigned my job. And I was there for five years in the house. And for five years from childhood, this child grew on my lap. I used to read Bible stories to her. My husband, I think he remembers or not, because now he's, uh, he's uh, grown quite old. He's uh, older than me, of course. So he may not remember. But I used to, when I used to tell the Bible stories, all the time, Mali, when we do, we do, UP people, we massage a lot uh, to the baby. So while massaging, I used to tell Bible stories, Bible verses, all the Israelite stories, you know, that God said, never bow down before anything. All those stories I used to tell him. And he grew with the stories of the word of God and all the time teaching him. And now what happens, at the age of five, my daughter-in-law says, I'm posted to Chennai. So, Mama, we have to shift. My heart broke because I was seeing the love of my son into my grandson. I was getting so attached with him. I was finding that which I had lost. And it, was, it became so painful. They had, they had to go. They went away. And I was working in Malaradi school in 
Bonpalli and I was driving the scooter. The love was so much. Then I started writing. I used to write poems. And the poem came into my mind and I went and sat on my desk and I wrote a poem and I posted it to him. You know what I was doing? I was making that child get more attached to me. And what happened in those five to ten years when he became ten years, that five years he was so attached to me that he used to trouble his parents, call my dama right now, otherwise I'll not eat breakfast. Call her right now, otherwise I will not go to school. And then my son, my daughter-in-law will ring up and say, Mama, please take a train and come because the auto is standing and this fellow is saying, I'll not go to school. Can you speak to him? And I used to speak to him, Beta, please, I'm coming. You go to school. Wear your shoes. Do this. Do that. No, they are giving me idlis every day. I don't want to eat. I want to eat the breakfast which you made, Mama. I said, oh, beta, please, I'm coming. And I used to rush. You know, God gave me opportunity to rush over there when he was five years old to read the Bible to him, to pray with him, to tell him, all, remind him all, all the word God says, all that what he, has, what he had been taught. But my influence was very bad. on Not bad. It was not good. He was not being released for his parents that they could. So then slowly, slowly, I prayed. I said, Lord, please help me. I'm in mad like mad woman, I love this child a lot. I cannot release him. When I prayed, again, the word of God says, when you pray, God hears. And he heard. He was waiting for me to pray. And when I came back, after that, two, three times I went, then I did not go. It was a big drama on the railway station. Mama, crying, crying, crying. No, don't go. No, dama, don't go. All that used to happen. Then I thought I should stop it. And when he used to call me from there, I started reminding him all the words which I had taught him from the Bible. He used to pray with me on the phone. I said, now you say that, Lord, I, I told you to obey your parents because your life on this earth will be good. Beta, you have to obey your father and your mother. Then you will be prospering on this earth. I used to tell him all kinds of words which could encourage him to detach myself and attach them to his parents. It was difficult, but it took time, and that child is now 22 years, and he says, no, no one can remove me from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Anita. Beautiful. Yeah, thank you very much. This is uh, one of the joys that we have as in the, latter, in the second half of our married life, and that is the gift or the privilege of becoming grandparents. It is the reward for having weathered all the storms of childhood and adolescence and raising your own children. You can have your grandchildren. And you've learned a lot of lessons raising your children. You know a lot of good things. That blessing you want to pass on to your grandchildren I just want to say this, love them, uh, enjoy them, but once again, do not make suggestions to the, your children, to their parents, about how they should be brought up. Of all the issues most frequently that cause disagreement between a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, I read this written by an Indian uh, author, it is in the raising of grandchildren. That difference, you know, we, you know, like I said, we know it. We know it. We've been there. We have a great amount of wisdom. Please, don't weigh in and learn, at, get involved in these very touchy topics. This is, was my first run-in with a son-in-law, whether a baby be left to cry or to be picked up. 
That's where I learned to be quiet. Uh, you know, the issue of bedtime, how strict do we be about bedtime? The issue of how much time are they allowed to watch television or to play video games? Or There's so many issues that we have opinions about. Grandparents, we do. And uh, their opinions are different. God has placed them in the position of the parents. You know what you can do? The best thing to do with your opinions is Keep them to yourself. Actually, better still is take it to Jesus. This is the best thing that you can do for your grandchildren is to pray, 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 because God has plans for them and for their future. I just want to say a couple of the contributions that grandparents can make. Well, I'm gonna, I've listed four. There's many, many. I call them gifts to our grandchildren. One is availability, just to be there. This is what Anita did for her little grandson when his mom would go off to work. Some of you, your grandchildren are on the other side of the world. You're not able to do that. But if you're able to give that gift of time, that's very, very precious. Secondly, listening. You know, this, is, this world is not, it's just short on listening skills. Parents are busy, they don't even have time sometimes. Your, one of your greatest contributions is to listen to your grandchildren without interrupting, without criticizing, not probing for information, giving them your undivided attention. It's a gift. Another thing you can give your grandchildren is your example. And you know the importance of example, to live a life without words. But to, really, by far, the greatest thing that you can do for your grandchildren is to give them a faith to live by. The value of this gift is going to carry into eternity where an extended families will gather together around the throne of God. And as I was preparing, I, I wanted a verse uh, for grandparents and I found this one. I kept thinking, gray hair, age, something about gray hair. <laughs> I found it in Psalm. It's in Psalm chapter 71. In verse 18, it says this, grandparents, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. I love that. That's my prayer. Lord, give me strength until I can declare your power to the next generation. That's Psalm 71 and verse 18. That's something which you can hang on to. I want to talk for just a few moments about surviving the empty nest. Do you know what happens when your children grow up? They get married, they move away, they go off for jobs, and suddenly you have a lot of space in your house you didn't even know you had. You have some empty bedrooms. It's very quiet there. And what happens, sadly, is so many times the parents have invested all of their time and effort through 20 or 25, maybe even 30 years, in being mom and dad. And you can forget how to be husband and wife. And this is kind of, the, this was a little, the illustration. This, they still had young children, but the husband was saying, I want you. We still need to invest in one another. This is something which you will have time to do. This is one of the things I loved about the empty nest. When my children were married, when they had homes and families of their own, Pastor and I, we loved, we loved to travel. 
And if we had a vacation, if we were uh, away, we had a, a, a vacation from church, from the responsibilities here, we would go somewhere. Sometimes he, he used to, he loved to just get in the car and drive in the U.S. And until we, we'd go somewhere we were interested in. And we'd stop when we felt like stopping. And we'd eat when we felt like eating. And we would just take a bed and breakfast. And we'd, we had so much fun. And he used to say, you know, when we don't have a lot of responsibilities and the kids aren't there, we're just like a couple of teenagers. Of course, we're in our, you know, we're in our, he was in his 60s. I was close. But we, it was, it was a blessing. If you live to that wonderful age, when you have that time, you know, you learn what, what it truly means to be one flesh. We used to argue when we were younger. You know, the older we got, the less we argued. You know why? <laughs> we were so much alike. We thought alike. We talked alike. I mean, we even looked alike sometimes. You know, you, there's nothing to argue about. You've all fought it all out years before. It's over with. It's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful time of life. Enjoy. Someone said to me after the service, say this, Sister Stubbs. I get a lot of good advice, you know, when I'm speaking. <laughs> say this. What did he say? It's the empty nest, but it's not emptiness. That's good. Isn't that good? I said, I'll say it. If I remembered, I remembered it. That was the miracle. One last thing. You know what our ultimate goal is as parents? We are building a forever family. We want a family that's going to be together forever in the presence of the Lord. And as I was thinking about this, I, I, I just, my mind went immediately back to my mother-in-law's funeral. And as we were standing as a family around her, her, her coffin there at her funeral, I was so touched. Her, her two sons and her daughter were there, and of course the spouses, some grandchildren. And the son said, Mom, don't worry. We're going to all be there. We're all going to join you in heaven. And, and I often say, Lord, you saw that pledge. Don't let, we don't want even one family member to be missing. I don't think the children are going to be missing it. What about the grandchildren? What about the generations to follow? I want to proclaim your power and your greatness to the generations that follow because I'm praying now for my children, for my grandchildren, that we will all be part of God's forever family or our family in our forever place. You know, sometimes we think that the most important thing that we can do is provide for our child's education, to have a good home for our children. I want to say to you parents that the best thing you can do for your children is to see that they know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Your child's commitment to Jesus Christ is much more important than their choice of career because their choice of career is for this life. Their commitment to Jesus Christ is of eternal value. We have to put our eyes on things eternal when it comes to our family. Eternal values. This is what I want to do as we close uh, this portion of our service before we go into communion. And I, I want to just kind of wrap up these, uh, these four weeks that we have been talking about family. And I am wanting to say that I am willing to fight are you willing to fight the good fight for what you believe in? This is what I want us to do. I want us to pledge before the Lord what I believe. Let's stand up, shall we?
This is going to be our closing of this message. I'm going to put one sentence at a time, or they're going to put it on the screen. Would you just say it with me? If you feel like you can, if you can't, that's your personal thing. I'm making a pledge. I'm putting my hand on my heart, and I'm saying, Lord, this is what I say in the presence of God. This is what I believe. Would you say it with me? First one. I believe in the family. Say it with me. We'll say it all at the same time. Second one. I believe in the sanctity of marriage. Good. Next, I believe that the husband, no, no, I left it off. I believe that a man and a woman should leave their father and mother and should cleave to one another. I believe that the husband ought to love his wife the way Christ loved the church. I believe the woman should respect her husband and submit to his leadership. I believe that children ought to obey their parents. I believe that parents should train their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I believe every grandma and grandpa ought to pray for and nurture their grandkids. And I believe that no matter what your family unit consists of, that family matters. And we must fight for our families. Father, we just say this in your presence. We're saying, Lord, we are going to stand up for our families. We're going to say to the enemy, this far and no farther, you cannot have our children. You cannot have our grandchildren. We've given them to God. Lord, I don't know what they look like. They may still be baby Christians, but we believe by the power of God. They're your sons. They're your daughters. They're going to be spiritual young people, men, women. They'll raise their children to know you, to live for you, and to love you. We cover our families with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we just pray, Lord, have your will in our families. And Lord, make us obedient doers of the Word of God. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen. If you would like more information about our church or would like to make a comment, please mail us at info at newlifeag.in. God bless you.